Welcome to The Spawn Chunks, episode number 127 for Monday, February 8th, 2021. My name is Johnny, but the internet knows me as Pixorifs, and joining me from the inside of his own personal powdered snowblock is Joel Duggan. Hi, Joel. <laughs> Warner Brothers snow. It's the kind that just comes down in a big poom. You know, yes. And then that's what we have to deal with in Canada this week. Uh, if you are interested in uh, staying inside and warm, watching a lot of Twitch streams and hearing a little bit about the behind the, tw- the scenes of Twitch streams, then you should listen to the Render Distance, which is the extended version of the podcast. That's what we talked about this morning before we hit uh, go on the main show. You can get that at patreon.com slash the spawn chunks just by becoming a member. And speaking of those Twitch streams, Joel, you've been streaming a little bit of Minecraft lately. I saw you working some more on your medieval city build. How's it been going? Uh, very well. I It's reached that point, uh, and I'll compare it to Lego, where you're following the Lego instructions on book one, book two, and book three, but now comes the time where you put all those pieces together and you make the thing. Mm-hmm. And so the keep, which I've been working on for several weeks, uh, I want to say with the average of three streams a week, I've probably been about three weeks on this project and it's big and it's complicated and I'm taking my time with it. And uh, we reached the point uh, on the weekend where things like the main hall, the new staircase tower, the back wall and the barracks slash, I don't know, servants quarters and the kitchen are all now finished in terms of like, final layout, final door is in this position, hallway is in that position. And I've added different access doors to the um, battlements where people can, you know, walk along the wall and look down at the town. And what I like so much about this build, even though it's an enjoyable design and it's a cool looking thing, I just love the fact that I'm no longer flying around and trying to land on the roof to finish it or uh, get up to that weird tower that's half done, that's not connected to anything. I can walk there are stairs and there are pathways and there are uh, battlement walkways and I can get anywhere in this thing on foot uh, in multiple different ways. Like I can go to the kitchen three different ways, <laughs> you know, and I just it for whatever reason, it's starting to feel like those first person shooter maps where, you know, it's like an old town that's got like parts of the buildings are blown out and and you can get anywhere you don't always have to run across the open ground like you can go through doorways you can go through an open wall and then jump the little broken piece and the next thing you know you're in the you're in the next building and so there's no broken pieces in my design obviously i've, I've finished it but it's just got that complete feel to it now uh and i've been really enjoying that and now i'm on the like the detail phase which is something that's going to take some time i think to research in terms of like how to cement the build into the landscape and um all that kind of stuff so it's it's been Nice to add some life to it. The smoke coming from the chimney from the campfire blocks, of course, just makes it feel lived in. Um, so I'm I'm liking the feel, I guess, is the best way to put it. Yeah, I, it's funny. Knowing you, as I do now, knowing your preferences for Minecraft gameplay, uh, I <laughs> when you mention it feeling like a first-person shooter map, I, I was thinking, like, you know, some, some servers with a different population might actually consider turning a town project like that into a PvP arena. Right. And having like, you know, bow combat or, you know, crossbows and fireworks or, you know, spots to jump out and melee each other. But something tells me that's not really going to happen on the Citadel with this project. Uh, No, uh, not. I don't want to say never never say never. Right. Yes. Yeah. Best is the best way to say it. Uh, There have been some PvP events. I didn't partake, but I was busy. I think I think I had other plans. I wasn't even on the server or streaming. Uh, So it's one of those things that just. 
it would be neat. I would I would be cool with doing something like a treasure hunt. Like yeah. I would love to have like a hidden room or a or a, even just because it's so big, the town is so large. Like you know, I have to find like you know the baker shop and you know you everybody's got well similar to what you were doing with uh, the clash of the creators with like you know uh, kill all the different mobs in a certain amount of time or first person you know first team to the finish line wins with the amount of mobs and for for this it would be neat to have like a scavenger hunt where like there's 12 items in the city it's all over the place uh rules no elytra and um but other than that fair game you know first team to find all 12 items wins like that could be really fun when it's all done uh and a great way to show off the the build too you know for people to have to walk around and because i'd like there to be like not just one road to go through like you'd have to like there's side streets and like staircases that you can take and just be able to kind of like take shortcuts and stuff like that i guess i would have to not participate because i would know yeah yeah you're you're like like running the game for people at that point instead of uh participating yourself and even even if somebody else hid the items in different places i I would still know the town inside out you know from because i'm the one building it so Mm -hmm. um but uh beyond that we did um uh i took a break from it not that i needed a break but uh we're getting to the point where the western part of the town needed some love uh because i'm starting to think about how the keep looks from the west side but then also thinking like well i can't make a big decision because i don't know what the west side is going to look like yet i know it's where i want to put the i'm being air quotes here the rich houses like i want the higher you know social side of the town to be the west side and then we've got the the south side for like fishermen and some trade works and then the market is on the east side and um so I had to take a solid three and a half hour stream the other day and it was fun to just chat with everybody and landscape the whole West side because it was inspired by uh, the natural hill that Minecraft had put there, but it was also not the best. <laughs> there was some holes. There was a lake that I had to fill in. Like there's a bunch of things that needed to be smoothed out if I wanted to run a road down there and not have a headache. Um, so I was... Um, doing that and kind of sharing my process in terms of like, okay, people ask me all the time, like, how do you do these windy roads? How do you approach that? And well, this is how, like, this is step one. And it's not the exciting step. This is the, I made basically giant grass stairs (laughs) for now. uh, And that will eventually become the road. So, but um, it's nice now that when I do have an idea for that area, it will just be a matter of plunking the build down. I don't have to do any like major digging and excavating and planning anymore i can just put the road in and then start building houses and it should be pretty good yeah something i don't do enough i think is try and make the landscape fit my vision for the builds before i start the builds (laughs) or or vice versa almost like i I think with the museum right now i'm suffering from the fact that yeah i did flatten out a really large portion of the terrain and the museum is going to be one large building ultimately so it's not going to look that out of place but seeing a town come together over the last few weeks that you've been building it's it's a really nice kind of dynamic sense of uh you know the the way a town like this should feel with the medieval style of things you know working with the terrain and everything and when you can you know shuffle the terrain around just to to better fit the flow of the town here and there it comes together really well thanks yeah it's just it's um it it's it's the long game you know, like we've got more emails about this later, but it's it's definitely, this is the pace and this is the time where if you can just slow yourself down and just do the tedious thing rather than rushing right to the fun stuff, you save yourself so much later mm-hmm. in terms of headaches and, and you don't have to sacrifice as much from a design perspective. Like if you really wanted to build this special house with the right angle and this kind of thing, like if you don't plan where it could be, 
then you might have to say, well, that's a great idea, but it doesn't fit here. I have to put it somewhere else. And that's not the end of the world, but it kind of sucks sometimes when you have your, you know, sights set on something. But speaking of the museum, like what what's going on there? Uh, right now, I'm still working on collecting materials from around the world and working on what I don't have bulk storage of already. So I, I made a bit of a shopping list on my last uh, full Minecraft stream. I went through all of the things you know, that I would need in larger supplies. I really need to do like a proper sand mining stream or something soon because I will need so much concrete, so much glass, so much actual sand in order to do all of the stuff that I want to. And I need to tackle some of the rarer resources like red sand and sandstone because those are all going to be represented in the museum somehow. I would love to do more building with them, but it means tearing apart most of a mesa biome just to get what little amount of red sand I can skim off the surface. So, yeah, it's, it's sort of back into the planning phases for the next set of things. Still working on a few biome dioramas here and there. Um, but, yeah, it, it, it's just kind of ticking things off the list slowly but surely over the next few months. And I'm, I'm honestly trying to stretch it out so that it's going to wrap up around the time 117 comes out. Because I feel like the museum has always been, in my mind, the kind of button we put on the survival guide to finish the whole thing off. And then move on to a, a season two. Uh, in the meantime, though, in the background, I've still got my Skyblock series and my Minecraft RTX series going on. Uh, moving ahead with the RTX series, I'm going to be doing a bit more building kind of along a medieval line, but probably uh, less like a built-up city and more just like a, a, a sort of rural collection of houses to start off with. I might attempt a castle later on before we move on to a slightly more modern theme using maybe some cyberpunk inspiration for a town where we can have neon lighting everywhere and stuff like that. Um, in Skyblock, I'm working on a nether fortress mob farm, which has to take on kind of a unique spin on it in Skyblock, mostly because the nether fortress there is built manually and has a different hitbox to your standard, you know, naturally generated nether fortress. So uh, I've decided to take advantage of mechanics that were added in 1.16 where fireproof mobs can be moved around by lava flow now. And so I've oh, got right. a pathfinding nether fortress mob farm. So much like the trapdoor and blocks sort of pathfinding farms that you'd make for mobs in the overworld. I've made one of those for the nether that just drops them down from nether fortress spawn level into a tray of lava. The lava redirects them into the hoppers and then the hoppers are where I kill them to get all of the drops. So that's my wither skull farm now and uh, of course that means fighting the wither in Skyblock eventually, but probably cheesing it under the end portal or fighting it in part of the end landscape, which is just generated like a default vanilla world instead of fighting it in the sky with basically nothing else around, because I fought the wither in the air. It's not fun. It's not the easy way to do it, and it's not especially productive. Plus, if the nether star falls into the void, then I have to start all over again. Was it was it you and Zloy that did that? Um, no. I can't, I can't remember. remember. We, we, no, we've... it was um, oh, Hermitcraft. I'm blanking on his name. You guys uh, did the... Impulse uh... and uh, Skizzleman have probably done it at some point, right? Yeah, no, it was uh, no, it was you. It was um, from one of your other series where there was a modded series. Anyway, I'm blanking on it right now. Um, I just remember the wither got away. Oh, <laughs> and oh, it was you, a, and it was a bad you time. Mean, you mean the Minecraft Harmony series with Python, 
Oh, when, oh um, that's what it was. Hurry, yeah, I, I was I was thinking in a, in a skyblock context, but no, it was it was uh, in in a desert somewhere. We ended up spawning it, and for whatever reason, we just were not prepared. I think there was some some bugs with armor in that pack that meant we weren't as defended as we could have been. But uh, yeah, that was a rough fight. So I'm I'm looking for things to not go wrong uh, this time yeah. around for sure. Um, outside of that, though, we had the finals of the Minecraft Dungeons speedrun tournament uh, last night. The the semi-finals took place on Saturday, and then we went to the finals on Sunday. And uh, IMEC won in a best-of-five contest that went all the way to the fifth match against Yomcool TV. And it was really, really fun. That whole event was great. Uh, the Minecraft Dungeons speedrunning community was really welcoming, and they were totally up for having this tournament. Um, I think the highlights of the whole tournament overall looking back at everything, really came from the second and third semi-final matches between Imec, who went on to the final, and his opponent, Foot Cream. Uh, Foot Cream managed to get a sub-30 minute run, thanks to some lucky loot drops, and sub-30 minutes is like leaderboard level times. That would have been the fifth place run on the leaderboard if he didn't already have fourth place, and he was on track to get like a personal best time and even get higher than that, but I think he... Uh, he messed up a couple of times and died on Obsidian Pinnacle a couple of times. Um, and Imec only finished about 45 seconds after him. So he thought he'd won. <laughs> and it was a really close uh, second place race. And then uh, the third uh, the third race of three, they did a best of three for that semi-final. Um, they were both given effectively like the set seed that they use for the fastest route through every level. And so it really just came down to who could complete the fastest with like better loot drops and and a bit of like randomness obviously thrown in here and there. But uh, yeah, it, it all came down to a final last night. Imec won, and Imec is now also the world record holder. I think beat Yom's record about a week ago. I'm not sure if I mentioned that on last week's show or not. But uh, yeah, the the record for beating Minecraft dungeons in any percent without skipping levels is now 27 minutes or so. Uh, so yeah, it's it's been refined a lot lately, and I think everybody after this tournament is just like, I need a break from this game. <laughs> I've been playing it way too much in the lead up to the tournament. So uh, yeah, it was it was super fun, and thanks once again to the the speedrunners for having me because that was that was a blast to host. That's going to be really exciting, you know, like where you play a lot of dungeons. We cover it on the show, like you know the ins and outs, and then to see the game played at that kind of breakneck speed must be just eye-opening but also very entertaining because you're also in the know you know in terms of yeah. like the the gear and you know what your experience has been that's why i was excited to host it and we had co-commentators for all of the runs who were speedrunners themselves so they they knew what each one was looking for and i mean some of the stuff they have to they have to make decisions split second about which armor they're going to keep which gear has the right enchantments for them and so forth and half the time they check it so quickly so that they're not wasting time in the menu looking at their inventory that I couldn't tell what they had. And then my co-commentator would be like, oh, wow, he's got a swift-footed armor. That means he's going to be 15% faster through the next section of the game. And I was like, wait, you saw that? <laughs> it was on screen like a blink and you'll miss it uh, situation. But yeah, no, it was it was super fun and, and really great to see that game played differently. As somebody who's tried, you know, challenge runs in that game before and done the weaponless thing, again, it's just another way to play the game, another permutation of this kind of thing. And since Minecraft Dungeons differs from Minecraft in that it doesn't have as much of the creative element with building and so forth, I think it's really nice to see players still finding creative ways to explore that game. 
Let's move on to the news, though, because we have a whole bunch of stuff to cover this week. Uh, we have Minecraft Java Edition Snapshot 21W05A and later B to fix a couple of bugs, but this is the one, folks. This is the one that has introduced a bunch of lush cave features, which is probably going to be the main discussion topic for this week, but we'll get into the changelog now. Uh, we'll have a link to that in the show notes if you want to go and check it out yourself at minecraft.net. Uh, but the new features include azalea bushes as well as flowering azalea bushes, cave vines and glowberries, drip leaves, decorative blocks for lush caves including hanging roots and rooted dirt, moss, and spore blossoms. The changelog goes into a little bit of detail about each of these. So, uh, cave vines grow down from the ceiling like weeping vines do from the nether, but when they grow they have a chance of producing glowberries. Glowberries are a natural light source as well as a food source. Foxes can eat glowberries and be bred with them. You can use glowberries to plant new cave vines and using bone meal on a cave vine will create glowberries. Small drip leaf uh, grows naturally in the world and needs moisture, so it, it grows on clay or underwater. A small drip leaf grows into big drip leaf when bone meal is used on it. Big drip leaf grows taller when bone meal is used on it, and if you stand on a big drip leaf, it will tilt after a while and you'll fall off. You can crouch or jump to prevent a big drip leaf from tilting, and a big, a big drip leaf tilted down will tilt back up flat again after a while. Big drip leaf can be broken when hit with projectiles, and the wandering trader will sometimes sell small drip leaf plants. There are two new decorative blocks added uh, as far as moss goes. They are moss block and moss carpet. Moss carpet can currently be crafted from moss blocks, or alternatively, bone mealing moss produces both more moss blocks and moss carpet in the surrounding area. The spore blossom is a beautiful large flower placed on ceilings, and particles will drip from it. Changes in 21W05A include that the stone cutter can be used to craft the different copper block variants, stairs, slabs, etc. The stages of copper oxidation are now called copper block, exposed copper block, weathered copper block, and oxidized copper block in sequence of least to most oxidized. Drowned now have a chance of dropping copper ingots. They no longer drop gold ingots. They added new Skulk sensor events. For the full list of the Skulk sensor frequency changes, please see the Minecraft.net article. Changes to powder snow include flaming arrows now get extinguished when they collide with the powder snow. Skeletons now convert into strays when frozen. Powder snow is now pushable by pistons and sticky pistons. And foxes can now walk on top of powder snow without falling in. Technical changes in 21OW5A improved performance when using many overrides on intem sorry and on item models. Copper oxidation is now a random tick effect and thus affected by random tick speed in the game rules. Bug fixes of note in 21O5A. The full list is available on the Minecraft.net article, uh, but a few of these we wanted to share with you are that cauldrons don't fill with powdered snow in some biomes. That is now fixed. Skulk sensors do not react to minecarts being driven. Hosts of other changes to Skulk sensors, what they can and cannot detect are also in these notes. Uh, going into a dimension that is has a height higher than the maximum height crashes the game and placing glow lichen in lava creates waterlogged glow lichen all of these changes have been fixed yeah that last one was of note to me because that was one a lot of people were like oh we have water in the nether now and i i, I saw that one coming i was like no they've, they've they're clearly going to patch that that's not there's no way that's intentional because it was basically converting lava into water so sorry folks but no water in the nether for you um 
so this is the one. This is this is uh, we kind of called it. I think on a previous uh, episode, we thought, well, the the lush cave blocks, if not cave generation, are going to be coming further down the line. Uh, we are, of course, like I said, going to be talking about those in our main discussion. But let's highlight some of the other stuff here. Uh, we have some of the copper changes, but not all of the copper changes that we saw in the recent Bedrock beta, Joel. A any highlights for you from that? I really enjoy the name changes. Mm -hmm. uh, it, it's such a simple thing. But um, one, as a podcaster that covers Minecraft, uh, but also just in general, I find that it's it's a better way to say what is happening uh you've got different different consonants and vowels starting the different descriptors like it just it it makes a lot of sense i'm glad they did it i have the same problem that i used to have with copper oxidation as i uh have with um blackstone stuff mm -hmm. i kind of wish that they had a better way of describing it although i, I thought about it in the blackstone stuff like they kind of have to call it polished crack wall you know or whatever yeah. like there, there's there's a certain amount of like this is the type of block it is. I can't, we can't change the name of it, you know? And so that becomes a bit of an issue when you've got three variants of the same block. Um, but uh, I think it's a good, I think it's a good change and it'll be a lot clearer when players are describing which block they're using, you know, it'll be a lot easier to, to talk about it. I think communicate about the copper. I'm, I'm happy that the copper changes are coming to Java so quickly. Like it, it's most of them anyway. Um, it makes sense. I mean, I figured that it wouldn't be a huge hurdle. Um, I think the, the one that's missing is the, it's, it's the, um, dispenser, right? Yeah. Being able to wax stuff manually without picking it up and having to craft it in a crafting interface, I think is still mm. something that I'd like to see in, in Java, to be honest, like just for convenience and automation. And we've talked about that a couple of times. Um, but yeah, I agree. The name changes are good. No more lightly weathered, semi weathered. Which one are we talking about? Kind of confusion. I think it's going to be nicer to have like exposed, just be like the, the, the lightest amount of that, uh, that patina coming through. Um, yeah, it's it's good. It's also the the random tick speed change is interesting. It still seems to take the same length of time to age, but it's based on game tick rather than some other timer behind the scenes. So it can be sped up using random tick speed now. I think that's mainly useful for testing contraptions because you don't have to like if you want to make sure that cactus is growing properly and stuff like that. You don't have to wait until uh you know, a random tick event happens, you can just speed it up. So if you change your tick speed to 3000 instead of three, you can see copper aging pretty fast, but it doesn't change as soon as you put it down. There is very definitely a period where it isn't converting. So I think that works, uh, that works really well for me. I think too that the powder snow changes just, they're simple, but it speaks to um, what the redstone community could potentially do now with either traps or farms or just controlling the timing of mobs because they take a certain amount of time to fall through powder snow the fact that you can have powder snow maybe over an opening and then either retract it or extend it depending on what your redstone is doing because it'll move with pistons and sticky pistons i think is really neat yeah, that that's potentially something you could use in mini games as well. If you, I don't know if powder snow completely negates fall damage, but I know you slow down as you go through it like a cobweb, right? So, right. having something like that that you can move around means that potentially, if there's a drop that would kill a player, you can have a piston push a powder snow block out, and they can maybe slow themselves down, break their fall a little bit as they go on dropper games and stuff like that. That's going to be an interesting one to add. So, 
yeah, with uh, with a, a very few blocks out there aside from things like water and hay bales and beds, some of which aren't necessarily movable in the same ways. That uh, lends a bit more diversity to it. Uh, I think powder snow converting skeletons to strays, it, it makes sense. It's not a super necessary mechanic because I don't really see people farming strays all that much. They only drop slowness arrows, I think is the only difference from regular skeletons. Um, but it's kind of consistent with being able to convert husks into zombies and zombies into drowned. It kind of follows the same formula with variant mobs that you can get a uh, a conversion going between the different types. So that if, that's kind of cool. I agree. If strays could drop something similar to how drowned now have a chance to drop a copper ingot, what would you want them to drop? Oh, interesting question. That's... That's a tough one. I'm not sure. I think it would have to be something related to the snowy biome for it to mm -hmm. really make sense for me. Uh, so maybe if they dropped powder snow, <laughs> maybe if the powder snow had just kind of like stuck to their bones and that was what we see in these kind of like ragged clothes they have or something. I'm I'm not certain though. I feel like it, it would be neat to have a mechanic that you could farm them somehow, but then just being able to convert skeletons with powder snow might then make that too easy. So, yeah, yeah I'm, I'm not sure. Unless there was some other kind of material added later if we got tin alongside copper now and, you know, mm. th there could be some stuff uh, further down the line to make strays a bit more valuable. I've had a... I've seen a counter-argument to people saying it's weird that the drowned drop copper because they should be, uh, you know, drowned sailors or pirates or whatever and they should be dropping gold. I saw somebody point out that tridents already look like they are made out of that um like weathered copper look so mm. originally the tridents could have been made out of copper and the copper ingots they're dropping are just like the materials they would have used to build a trident and of course we can't build a trident that way in game but i feel like it does vaguely make sense also spyglasses being another thing you know you've got uh you know the spyglass being made out of copper and you can imagine pirate sailors wanting to have a telescope to look through so i, th I think uh, a few people griping about the changes from gold to copper i think are uh you know maybe not quite 100 percent there in terms of the the justification for it and i think too that they're spreading out the the ingots throughout the different mobs and they're making it a unique experience so you've got gold from zombie piglin you've got iron from zombies from time to time you've got now copper from drowned um Again, we're into strays, and they don't. Have, there's not a mineral that we could really associate yeah. with. We, them like we couldn't a, like have a, them dropping netherite. You know, that's going to be a no, little bit exactly. OP. You know, I was thinking ice, but I don't know whether the changes in the biomes that they made um, a couple updates ago would then, like, I don't want to discourage. You know, I don't want to suggest a change that would discourage player exploration to yep. go look for like you know an ice spikes or an ice um, iceberg, frozen ocean biome, uh, stuff like that. But I just, it would be neat if it, and I guess it all depends, right? I mean, the, the drown dropping copper ingots, it's a chance to drop copper ingots. Yeah. We don't know how much you're actually going to be getting out of a decent farm. And so even if they did put something like ice or powdered snow as a potential drop from uh, 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 a stray, as long as it wasn't so high of a rate that it would break the, you know, if you could still go get it faster on your own, then it's just a matter of, well, do you want to go do that? Is that fun for you? Or would you rather be like, no, it's not as fun. I'd rather wait longer, get less, but not have to go get it myself kind yeah. of idea. Mm -hmm. You know, like I, I think that's a good trade-off if they were to drop something like powdered snow 
You also have the balance factor of needing a lot of storage for a farm like that, because powder snow has to be in a bucket, and buckets that are full can't be stacked. So you'd end oh, up wow. with, like, full chests of these and only having 50 items. <laughs> so you'd, yeah. you'd end there up you needing a, a lot of storage for that one. I think the Skulk Center is getting more fleshed out now, and I think that's really great. I think it's good that they're still considering more events to have Skulk Sensors detect, but I don't really see... Like, I, I'm not super excited about any of them, mainly because I haven't thought that far ahead with Skulk Sensors. Like, I'm not champing at the bit for one specific thing for them to do now. I just want to get in there, see how we can get hold of them naturally in the world, and then, uh, you know, how likely it is that we're going to be able to get hold of any of this kind of stuff before I start to plan ahead for, okay, if I have 50 Skulk Sensors, then I'll be able to detect all kinds of different noises. I'm the same. I... I'm very. I'm more curious about where they're coming from and how we get them at this point. Um, I think what they do is really cool, but because it's always changing, I was like, well, I'm not going to go to school on this until, you know, the teacher's done making up the lesson plan. Yeah. You know, like uh -huh. I'm going to wait until they're consistently the same through a number of snapshots before maybe ex exploring them. And I like I did pop into the snapshot, of course, before the show to kind of play around with some decorative stuff and and see some of the new the new blocks and whatnot. And um, I was careful though to not go too long. Like I don't want to spoil any surprises or um, discover too much on my own. Like I kind of want to share that with people. So, uh, and I tend not to jump into snapshots lately on on streams. So it would be cool to um, experience a lot of this stuff kind of in game for the first time. And if the skulk sensors end up doing something mind blowingly cool, I, I kind of want to experience that for the first time in game. Yeah, yeah, totally agree. What do you think, email? Email, let's do it. Email! This uh, is the part where we answer and talk to you, the listener. And if you would like to email the show, you can send us a message at spawnchunkmail at gmail.com. Still getting a few emails to the old address. Uh, we don't answer those. That's We use it for business purposes. So make sure you send your message to spawnchunkmail at gmail.com. Uh, these emails are all in response to our question and discussion last week about the changing pace of Minecraft play. Uh, I'll get into a larger list at the end of this, but I wanted to thank everybody for writing in because it was a lot and in a good way. It was really cool to see everyone's responses. Uh, first email comes from Restless War X, aka the Nut Family. Good chunk day, Joel and Johnny. I wanted to weigh in on the discussion in last week's episode, episode 126, about newer generations rushing through the game of Minecraft. I have three kids, ages 10, 8, and 5, all of which love playing Minecraft as much as I do. I set up a realm a few months ago so that all of us could play together in the same world, but soon found I was playing alone. I asked them about why they stopped playing, and their answers surprised me. My 10-year-old said I died and lost all my stuff. I guess he just rage quit the world. My eight-year-old said I wasn't having any fun. My five-year-old asked, have you turned on creative yet? <laughs> after, their, <laughs> right? uh, after their responses, I noticed that my 10 and eight-year-old basically built nothing of significant importance and spend most of their time gathering in mines and plugging away to get the next stage. If they die, then they quit and they start a new one. Uh, start a new world, I guess. I support. Uh, I suppose that either they get really upset or because they built nothing which took any time or investment, they just have no ties to the world, so they are not tethered to it in any certain way. My five-year-old just seems to lack the patience of gathering resources and instead wants to play creative. 
Long story short, I still love Minecraft and playing together and hearing about each other's accomplishments. It's just that I play on my own world, which is build-centered, and I have yet to even venture to the end despite many hours of overworld build time. When my kids want to play with me, I join their typically very young world. Thank you for the interesting and informative podcast. It really helps me get through my work days. Keep on chunking Restless War X. I thought this was uh, very telling <laughs> yeah. in terms uh-huh. of newer players, right? Yeah, and no, thank you so much for the for the insight there. Especially like, um, I I imagine a lot of people who start playing Minecraft young, a lot of kids who are like you know five or six or whatever, are gonna want to play creative because they're just in it to kind of push their imagination a little bit. And and I see like lacking the patience of gathering resources and stuff. That I that sort of side of your mentality again I'd, I'd love to have a better background in like neuroscience and brain development so i could uh, speak to this with a little bit more authority but i think um it's the kind of thing that you learn societally a little bit later that uh hard work gets reward right you you tend to mm-hmm. you tend to understand that you have to give a lot before you can get something out of it uh whereas at at such a young age you still haven't quite developed those associations and so you think i just want to instantly be able to play with all of the bricks that i can and that that makes perfect sense it's the kind of thing that they'll they'll learn as they get older um and yeah i i i think the uh if you're still kind of like you know age 10 11 even like you've got a certain amount of it that you think, well, I put all of this effort into it and I've suddenly lost all of that. You don't think about getting the effort back. You just abandon it and move on to something else, you know. And I think it's interesting that people will create a negative association with a world where they've lost all of their stuff and then starting a new world from scratch is basically the same thing, but it feels better to them than continuing in the same world you know like effectively if you die and lose all your stuff it's the same as beginning a new world except maybe the new world has a little bit more promise to you and you're not associating it with a negative experience you've already had but that's always an interesting mentality to me because i I never i've always been one to think well there's still a chance that i'll stumble upon my stuff again even if i if i just try and walk in the same direction that i was going when i died um yeah so yeah interesting thought I think too that there's a certain level of um because I've seen this before. I won't call anyone out, but I've seen this behavior before of like just mining and just gathering like all this stuff as that's the first thing that that happens in the in the world, whether they, it's a fresh new world or new to them, you know? And what I what I think is interesting is that when you die and lose all your stuff, it's because you didn't slow down long enough to put it in a chest. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, like it's just, it's, it's, it's this interesting kind of like snapshot of, of patience. And when that gets to a point where if you have some patience, then you can make more of what you're doing. You know, if you just take a breath for a minute and I, and I feel that, and I'm not criticizing cause I know that this just, you know, uh, I, I equate it to my own ex- experience growing up. Um, I have always been a pretty patient person, but I found that I developed that skill when I started golfing when I was about 10, 10 or 12. Uh, because it's a sport where it's just you and the more you can't be, you know, dawdling around, but like the slower you take it and the more you think before you do anything, the better you get, Mm -hmm. right? If you rush through it, you just, you know, you scuff the ball somewhere and you take more shots. If you get angry and you lose your patience, then it just, it just goes more and more poorly for you. Whereas if you take a minute and, and slow down, you can usually get yourself back on course. 
and um i i feel like around that that 10 year old kind of like area and i don't have kids so i might be speaking sideways but i do find that that's kind of when you see that kind of slowdown um at least in my experience in in sports like golf and stuff um but yeah i thought it was a an interesting snapshot especially with the younger creative because i have a niece that's a little bit older than that but um she plays um creative and and i don't think she's i don't i think that her main hook hook on survival was more like she didn't like the zombies the zombies and the skeletons were quote quote unquote scary you know when she first started playing so she's just always been creative because she doesn't like dealing with the mobs yeah and um so it wasn't it wasn't so much the grindy stuff because it still takes a while because she builds a lot of big things in creative and that still takes time like you're still in a block by block you know process i think i think generally speaking as well younger kids don't necessarily have much taste for like subtlety of aesthetics um i'm trying to trying to be as diplomatic about this as i can but a lot of kids are going to want to go for the blocks that are brightly colored and you know all of the stuff that just really appeals to them visually and a lot of those blocks aren't really available from the early stages of minecraft unless you spawn in a mesa biome Mm -hmm. maybe Mm -hmm. but then like if you want to build with like bright green and blue and pink and all of those kind of like really out there pop out kind of colors you're looking at stuff like concrete and that isn't immediately available until players start to craft it and if you can just pull that out of the creative menu and have everything you want and build a house out of diamond blocks because you're clearly the richest person ever if you've got creative mode then i i think it's that that's the kind of thing that appeals more to younger minds is like i gotta build Mm -hmm. this out of the the coolest looking or most expensive or most colorful material possible which I think as the, the same way like taste buds develop to refine a little bit more and you get used to different stuff as you get older, I think as they age, kids are going to have more appreciation for that kind of stuff and they're going to have more appreciation for the materials you get at the start of the survival game, uh, mm-hmm. let, let alone the mechanics and everything else that that involves. I've got a question for the Nut family and uh, Alistair in our chat room just brought this up and uh, noted that it's much easier to build yourself back up after a death when you've progressed through the game right so like if you're at end game and you've and you've taken the time to get there then if you die then you probably have swords and armor and like you've got extras like you're not back at square one you basically just have to get to your chest in your base and Mm -hmm. you get kind of halfway there again unless you've lost an inventory full of stuff you've been collecting but then then we all have those moments of like that was just your own lack of planning you know like I can I can go over this pool of lava no problem. I don't care that I care I'm carrying a two shulker boxes full of, you know, <laughs> you know, uh, uh andesite that I need for this build. Like famous last words. Um but I I'm curious for for the nut family like if there does get a point where one of these worlds get, you know, farther along if there's a eureka moment that any of the the young players reach um from the time that they've put in that'd be really cool. Let's move on to Steve W's email here because uh, this is more or less the opposing perspective from the Nut families. Uh, Steve W going by the username Zonka says, Hi, Johnny and Joel. You asked on episode 126 for people to comment on how their gameplay has changed over the years. I am likely in the minority, but I'm nearly 65 years old and have been playing Minecraft since Alpha 1.2 in September of 2010. My son introduced me to the game and invited me to play on a small server that he and some of his friends started. In those days, it was all just building and being chill. There was no Ender Dragon, there was no End Dimension, and the lighting in that old version was always what we would call moody in today's settings, so the nether was just too dark to bother to go to. So we just found ourselves an area to build near other players' builds and built up and dug down. 
It was an interesting time with updates coming frequently as the game was fleshed out, but it was always still just about building. When release 1.0 came out, we reset and started a new base and played for quite a while. However, no one else than I continued quite as long at it, and eventually I took over the server files. I still have that world and visit it for a nostalgic tour from time to time. I enjoy the massive builds of folks like the Hermits, but the only ones I've tried to copy are some of the street buildings Corallis has recently made, as they're so beautiful and doing so has enhanced my knowledge of build styles. As I'm still working in my profession, I don't have time to play for hours and hours, so I grind a little here, build a little there on a small server that hosts just me and sometimes one or two others. I only do specific grinding tasks such as end raiding or making a farm when I need that item for something I'm building, so I continue the chill style today, ten and a half years after first starting this grand and fascinating game. Appreciate the podcast and the work you both do with it. Insert clever sign-off here. Steve, player name Zonker. Thanks, Steve. That's, uh, yeah, again, a refreshing perspective from somebody who's been playing the game for twice as long as I have, <laughs> and of course, much, uh, much longer than Joel has too. So, yeah, I think, as we were saying in that episode, it's really about where your origins for the game were, and if you were playing the game before there were so many adventurous objectives to go to, you were typically building. Like I said, upside down stairs weren't even a thing before you know, the Ender Dragon and stuff got added in. So I think it's it's really interesting to hear from people who remember a time when blocks, you know, the full-scale meter-by-meter blocks were a thing. There weren't even slabs back in the day. And, you know, the, the slab was considered a controversial addition to Minecraft. So, yeah, thank you so much for that perspective. I wonder, going back that far into, you know, the pace of the game in its early days and what you could and couldn't do, I wonder how much of the appeal to minecraft was just the simple act of building in a 3d space in a with blocks like i just i wonder how much of that was just this is just neat you know yeah because if there wasn't that much to pull you in in terms of like the end and different blocks and trees and like all the different variants that got added later on as the game developed uh i'd be curious as to what the initial hook was um and interesting that you know he started playing so early on on a server like it doesn't sound like there was a lot of solo time like he was brought in by his son and introduced to that game and i mean obviously then you've got like you know time with family you know sharing the game together and and if it's chill then it's a very easy game to talk over whether you're on the phone or you've got some sort of voice over ip i mean like skype was still a thing you know 10 years ago so like being able to do that kind of thing um it would be really interesting to see because, I mean, Steve was kind enough to share that he's nearly 65, which means that even when he started, he was still over 50. Yeah. Right. When you started playing Minecraft and that's um, like, I'd be curious. And again, just like a uh, the the curiosity, the podcast interview interviewer in me wants to know, like, um, what kind of profession, you know, brought you into Minecraft? Because I find when uh, I have experienced people that are into podcasting, that are into video games and they are... Um, my age or a little bit older, uh, that they usually have a profession that's very technical, you know? And I, I'm curious when people come into Minecraft that early in the game, but um, I want to say late, but like later than most players do in their lives, considering that most Minecraft players came in younger than 50. Um, like if, if part of the appeal and part of the wonder is just like knowing how it's done like because you work in coding or because you work in development or something and like i i feel like minecraft had a very heavy 
and this is just anecdotal, I don't know for a fact, but I feel like a lot of the early adopters of Minecraft were, were tech, technical people. Yeah, I think at the very least, you've got to know your way around a PC. If you're getting into yeah. a heavy amount of gaming on PC and something which even in the alpha days, there were still threats, you know, but back in the early stages of Minecraft, zombies were even more dangerous than they are right now. They had a longer reach and, you know, th certain things have been uh reworked to favor the player in terms of mob ai and player defenses so i expect if they were playing survival especially it just seems like uh the kind of thing where you'd need to have at least you know basic understanding of pc controls maybe having played like you know diablo other rts games and stuff before that and something that allowed you to have a little bit more control over the environment but yeah really really interesting and, and good to see that that chill style still applies to the way steve plays today because i think a lot of people especially if they treat minecraft as a nostalgic experience and something that they they go back to based on past experiences uh it, it's it's nice to make sure that they're they're still kind of going to it for the same reasons they're still just playing the game more or less to relax mm -hmm. i know i do 100 percent. and and thanks again to uh both steve and to Restless War X uh, for, for writing in with those stories. Uh, and not to skip over the other folks, I want to give a quick uh, email shout outs to uh, Amateur Builds, who thinks literal faster gameplay running in Elytra combined with better resource access like technical farms, etc., has influenced gameplay. Firestar, who thinks pushing players to end game faster and wonders if the skip to early and mid-game content is un-Minecrafty. Zekno, who started off just playing creative at a very young age, but now prefers slower gameplay. Uh, Lubinsky, who plays long-term worlds at a slow pace. Bancor, who thinks the modern progression rush is heavily influenced by content creators like folks on Hermitcraft. Uh, Jump Poletz, I hope I'm pronouncing that right, who has slowed down and finds that the too many technical farms makes them miss the challenge of gathering resources, also cites uh, content creator influence for fast endgame. And Sky Faziz, uh, who has uh, a hardcore player now, has slowed their place dramatically. Uh, and I can understand that. We didn't mention, I don't think, hardcore last week on the show. But if you're playing a hardcore world, or if I was playing a hardcore world, I would play way slower. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah, you know? much less like Daredevil running off cliffs and, you know, can I can I make this jump into water? Am I able to run to this next biome over? You're establishing yourself in a place that, you know, you can be safe and explore outwards at a slower pace, for sure. So, yeah. And and I think the, the content creator thing is, is something uh, Bancor and... Uh, Jumpo let's mentioned which we touched on last week but I think is still part of it I think the especially stuff like the influence that speedruns are now having on the Minecraft gameplay and everybody getting into watching faster gameplay styles is definitely leading to people thinking Minecraft is a game they have to approach fast if they don't have previous experience with it and haven't been able to set the pace for themselves Let's move on to our main discussion, though, because, of course, we skipped over this in the news, so we can talk about it now. Lush cave blocks have started to pop up in the Java Edition snapshots for Minecraft, and I expect they'll be in the Bedrock Edition beta soon if they are not already. So, let's go into each of these more or less point by point and talk about what we like. Because, to be honest, Joel, I'm going to spoil it for you here, I like pretty much everything. <laughs> I'm, I'm a big <laughs> fan of what they've done with, with Moss, with Azalea, and, and all of the, the other bits and pieces from Lush Caves. So uh, we'll let you go first, though. What's, what are the standouts for you from this Lush Cave snapshot? So one of the things that I like doing with snapshots is dropping into my creative snapshot world and just 
building stuff with the new blocks, putting them down, seeing what they look like, seeing what they might go with, and then trying to build something real simple, real quick, kind of like a 15 minute gut reaction to like, what could these things be used for? Uh, and um, I really like the azalea saplings, mm-hmm. I guess they're called. Uh, because I don't know what they grew into because I got completely distracted by the fact that it's a full block. Yeah, they don't it's grow not... into anything yet. There is no, no azalea tree right now. Okay, so when I looked at them, I was like, this is a really unique... Because at first I was so close to it. It's like, did I place a block? Is it floating? I couldn't I couldn't see the trunk. <laughs> like I yeah. couldn't see the part that sticks into the ground. So then I backed up and I thought, wow, that's really unique. And then I started messing around with the moss block. And I was like, it was like having two things. Like I got, I have the moss block in my left hand and I have the azalea sampling in my right hand. And I went back and forth and back and forth. And I went, oh, and then I stacked them on top of each other. And like, oh, wow, it makes like a, a manicured bush. Uh, like you'd see in front of like uh, fancy mansions and stuff. Yeah. And I was just like, I just kind of just, just stumbled on that in my first minute or two in the snapshot. And I thought, okay, um, they're obviously thinking about how these things connect, you know, like how they go together. Uh, moss looks great next to mossy cobble, you know, making paths with it. Uh, the mossy uh, carpet is a fun addition. It means that you can use that to hide light sources and, and do stuff like that in your... Um, in your woods and you know builds that you need to have spawn proof so you don't have creeper surprises but you don't want to use green carpet because it stands out like a sore thumb mm-hmm. um i can't tell you how many times we've seen um people that make resource packs turn green carpet into grass and gray carpet into stone just so they can cover up you know light sources and things and keep stuff spawn proof but have it still look like it's part of the right build landscape yeah. um but yeah i i really enjoyed um the the, just the the colors that having flowering bushes i think is going to open up a lot of design stuff like there's there's i know that the caves and cliffs is going to be a lot of exploration but they're not forgetting about the people that really want to make pretty things yes yeah no uh simply sock made a video the other day where he said this is actually a gardening update and here's why <laughs> and basically just all of the lush cave features um yeah i i'm with you i really like the azalea sapling question mark um, I, I do really wish we'd seen a new wood type in this snapshot, but there is still time, and I think mm-hmm. the fact that there are already azalea leaves and flowering leaves, plus what we know about azalea trees basically earmarking there is a lush cave here, um, you know, points to there being azalea wood in the near future. I just think they're still working on the, the design of that, perhaps. But yeah, um, I, I agree. They're a fantastic choice for topiary, for ornamental gardens. Perfect. Really, really nice. And good that they have an interaction not with the leaf blocks from the tree themselves but moss blocks which aren't necessarily instantly going to be there so it leaves some something to the player to explore when they're working on that stuff um azalea leaves having a flowering variant finally a vanilla minecraft block that has flowers in the leaves instead of this oh there's sort of a yellow bulb thing in the jungle leaf for a while now we actually get flowering leaves and this is one of the first things that gets added in mods when people add different tree types and variations on the leaves, like in, I don't know, Chisel or whatever mod that just adds a bunch of aesthetic variations to blocks. Flowering leaves are pretty popular, so now that we've got them, uh, very happy about that. And they also even go with other stuff like the Spore Blossom. They have that kind of magenta, pinky purple kind of vibe where the Spore Blossom is and a new flower that's very pink and... I think aesthetically that green-pink combo is a really good sort of color story for the Lush Cave in general. I agree, and I think that they 
they did think about how other tree types and or bush types uh, or leaf block types would go with it because I found that the azalea was much closer to jungle. Yeah, in terms it, of color, it's, it's denser as well. The the texture yeah. is much more dense than say like spruce leaves, which are very pixely. Yes, I, I yeah I agree. It has a little bit more uh, we'll say organic feel to it, for the lack of a better pun. Uh, yeah, I, I I did mess around with the with the spore blossoms. I. I didn't really figure out or spend enough time to figure out what the spores do other than just have particles dripping for effects maybe in yeah. caves. Um, no, nothing but... nothing actually functional to them right now, if at all. Um, mm. But I, I, would, I would honestly kind of like the spores to have something like a potion effect, like you maybe get a couple of minutes of blindness if you walk directly underneath them or so, maybe not a couple of minutes, that might be a little harsh Yeah. Uh, if yeah. you're <laughs> exploring a lush cave. But I do, yeah, I sort of wish that there was some functionality to there. And, and if not that, then I sort of wish that the spores were so unnecessary that you could place them on the sides or top faces of blocks. Because right now the thing I'm missing from spore blossoms is... I don't design ceilings very often. Like, what do I do with these now? Um, yeah. Other than just I, put them on the roof. <laughs> I did a quick custom dark oak tree uh, and put a bunch of different leaf types in the top of it. And then I made some branches and stuck the spore blossoms to the bottom of the branches. Mm -hmm. uh, and they look fine. It's a nice high contrast between the dark oak and the and the bright pink. But And, it's, and like you said, it's cool looking. But then it's just like, but do I want particles falling from the flowers that i just decorated you know so it's i what i was thinking of and i just i had to log off because I, I i had to go last night but what i was thinking of was like i don't know what happens if it's probably nothing but if you put a cauldron like we've got a number of things right now where dripstone and a cauldron will give you either lava or water over time spore blossom to me says mushroom um so i wonder if you could collect you know like maybe mushroom stew uh with a with a um <laughs> a cauldron underneath a spore blossom over a long period of time or if like spore blossoms in the right location could then have mushrooms grow underneath them that kind of a thing could be neat uh i don't know i'm with you though i do i do wish that you could uh like i thought naturally they're going to be a, a, appearing on the ceilings of caves but i thought that it would be neat if you could also put them like on the base like on the ground uh which would be cool um i I was also looking at the other foliage and was confused in the a creative menu because I could not find the drip leaf. I was like, I need to check this quickly. And I was like, drip, drip leaf, leaf, couldn't find it. Uh, then, of course, I realized after said, all right, well, I can't find it. Let's mess with the glowberries. Uh, and so, sorry, it wasn't drip leaf. It was um, cave vines. Sorry, that's, I misspoke. Um, cave vines, couldn't find them anywhere. And as I realized, oh, much like berries are the seeds for berry bushes, Glowberries are the seeds for lush cave vines. Yeah. So you can't you can't just get vines in the creative menu. You have to start with the glowberries, which I thought was interesting because it means that all cave vines are glowberry vines. Like they're it's one and the same. You can't have it's not just a vine. It eventually will have berries on it, whether you want it to or not. Which I thought was uh, an interesting um, kind of like not pigeonhole, but like an interest interesting um narrow kind of like use of of the the vines yeah um, i i think i think it makes a lot more sense when you start to consider them as like sister plants for the berry bushes because of course bone mealing a berry bush doesn't get you another berry bush it gets you more berries and bone mealing the cave vines gets you glow berries instead of growing the plant you can mm. 
artificially grow the plant longer by placing more glowberries on the underside of it, but the majority of the time you're going to want to place it like regular vines and just let it grow naturally. And that's when it's going to start occasionally naturally producing glowberries. But the rest of the time you can bone meal it if you want it. That's going to lead to some interesting farms, I think. If you just grow a, uh, a, a cave vine as long as you want it, and then put a tower of dispensers with bone meal, and then have each of those dispensers fire maybe all at once, the entire plant lights up, you can harvest all of the berries, and then you kind of repeat that process. Um, I think that could be quite an interesting way of doing it. Also, interesting point about these, if you grow glowberries on the very end of the plant, the, the tip of the plant as it's dangling down, that produces a lower light level than it does if you bone meal one of the central parts of the plant, the ones that are actually like the core part of it. Because mm. I guess on the tip of the plant, it's a smaller cluster of berries in the, the sprite, and it's a, small, it's a larger cluster further up the plant. So it kind of has that slightly variable light level that stuff like multiple clusters of sea pickles or candles do. Uh, the end of the plant produces light level 10, and the fully grown sections produce light level 14. I did place some glowberries up inside of the tree that I had designed. Mm -hmm. uh, and because it already has bright pink flowers hanging from it in a weird kind of way with particles, adding glowing fruit to it did not seem like a stretch. Mm -hmm. uh, very cool to be able to light up your foliage in a way that one, shows off the nice build. Two, might keep some spaces um, spawn-proof and doesn't look like a torch. Yeah, it's organic right. looking light source yeah. again. Yeah. Very cool. I, yeah, I really, I, there's a lot of potential. I, the fact that you can eat berry, glowberries and the fact that foxes can eat glowberries really want, I, I want glow players. Like I want, yeah. I want to be able to feed a fox a glowberry and then just giggle as it runs off into the woods and I can watch it go the whole way because it grows like, glows like a light bulb. Like that would be hilarious to me. Yeah, um, oh, and even if that's just the glowing outline effect kind of thing, but it would be kind of cool if dynamic lighting was part of it, if the fox just yeah, yeah had, a, had a light source following it the entire time. That would, be, it uh, would just be really funny. Yeah, but um, the uh, the fox connection is the other thing that ties it very clearly to sweetberry bushes. So that's yeah. another thing that's potentially going to allow players to understand that these mm -hmm. behave that way and don't behave like weeping vines where you can bone meal them to grow them further and so forth. Yeah, just, uh, I, would, I just didn't clue in. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I, was, uh, I um to go back to my drip leaf idea though, I was a little bit disappointed that you couldn't put drip leaf um anywhere that you had to put it on clay or in water. And when I realized that like oh wow there's two different kinds of drip leaf, the small drip leaf and then the big ones that you can stand on. And I messed around with them briefly to to stand on and mess you know kind of see what they how they worked and it's work they work as you know. Descriptive. I feel like they take a little bit longer than they did in the video that we saw in Minecraft Live. But I put the drip leaf, the small drip leaf in the water and thought, ooh, wow, that's a really pretty reed. Like you can kind of make like a lily pad reed foliage thing that you can kind of control uh, in the water now. So another water plant. And I thought, well, wait a minute, they're going to grow eventually. So unless you can find a way to stop them from growing, you're never going to ever be able to use small drip leaf which is a too high plant by the way which is interesting you can't put it in a single block of water it has to be two blocks deep does it grow naturally i don't know if i've actually seen them grow 
I mean, you can How, bone like, you can, you bone, can bone meal them, but I okay. don't I don't know if they actually grow naturally from one plant to the other. I think you you actually have to have a player interaction there. Well, I I could be wrong then. Again, I spent a grand total of fifteen minutes in the snapshot trying to like gut reaction to things, and um, I in, I didn't wait a lot round long enough for them to grow naturally. I basically just bone bone mealed them, and then they turned into a uh, a drip leaf. But then I couldn't control how high it went. So like if I was trying to put a drip leaf at a specific height, it, it's a lot of trial and error. Yeah, yeah. It, it sort of adds a couple of blocks to it sometimes. And yeah, yeah. You, a, a little bit of trial and error there. Look, looking at the Minecraft wiki for small drip leaf, it says small drip leaf will not grow on its own. So for now, oh. at least, I think you can still use the small plant aesthetically. Um, it's going to cool. be like, like lily pads. Happy to be wrong. It's going to be like lily pads where you have to get it a different way. Like if you want to have more to work with than you found naturally, you're going to have to get it from the Wandering Trader, which, you know, I'm all in favor of the Wandering Trader being made a little bit more useful. Um, so that's not too bad. And I wonder if it's going to be maybe added to fishing loot tables or something like that as the same way lily pads are. But yeah, mm. I I like the aesthetic of having small drip leaf. I think more than I like big drip leaf. I don't have any problem with big drip leaf. I just don't see myself using it all that much. I think if you're building a more organic looking base, if you want to build like a kind of overgrown fairy grotto kind of build and you don't want to put a staircase in there, then giving yourself a little drip leaf parkour course is maybe the way to go. But yeah, yeah. I, I, can, I can see this being used in a number of ways. I just wish it was the kind of thing that I could kind of casually run up <laughs> instead of having to to jump from one thing to the other but i'm not i'm not a parkour guy and i think having big drip leaf you know at least uh, stay there while you are crouched on it so that you don't have to immediately jump to the next thing and the next thing is potentially right. gonna be a, a point in its favor there they give you a really big heads up too it drops by about 30 degrees before it drops you off of it yeah and it and it gives you like a full second maybe even second and a half to think about what just happened so you can jump off before before it drops um i like the idea of having like a bunch of drip leaf all the exact same level and that you can either sneak or you have to just beeline it and just run the whole like the, the whole bridge is just like a, this leaf bridge that's going to drop you off of it any any second um i like the variety like i like the fact that you've got stuff coming up from below you got stuff coming down from above you got stuff that glows you got stuff that drop, drops particles uh there's a lot of green we didn't see uh, many other flowers added, um, but I think a lot of the times with flowers uh, in Minecraft, they're very often associated with dyes. Yeah. And so I don't know if they added more flowers in lush caves uh, or if there's a plan for um, the um, spore blossom because I tried putting it in a crafting bench and nothing happened. Yeah. So like you can't break it down into anything. It doesn't seem like you can use it to craft anything else yet. Uh, they seem really significant, so I kind of wonder if there's something coming in that regard. Um, one thing I did want to note, which I found was interesting from a design perspective, which I believe is probably a stopgap because it doesn't seem at all like it matches with other things, uh, that is the um, the icons for drip leaf and small drip leaf uh, and the spore blossom in your inventory are like little images of the 3D models. Yeah. And and it feels very different than all of the sprite graphics that you have currently in in your inventory and uh it really took me out of it i was like oh wow i noticed it right away so i'm sure they're probably going to be returning to these and giving them pixel art you know um uh inventory icons um because it reminded me of modded it reminded me when people create some really complicated thing in modded like a a pump you know or or uh, some other technical thing 
And then instead of making a pixel art item in the inventory, the mod people just create, a, create an image of the 3D thing and put it in your inventory in Minecraft. And it starts to feel very modded at that point for me. Yeah. Uh-huh. And so I did notice that right away. And I, I get the impression that, again, snapshot, work in progress, like that stuff is probably coming. Yeah, it's the kind of thing where a, a placeholder graphic will do for now until the art team has yeah. had longer to, to mess around 100%. with that stuff. Um, yeah. Instead of just like texturing the the, the blocks themselves. Uh, before we get away from drip leaf, there is currently a bug in which you can grow small drip leaf using bone meal, turn it into large drip leaf, and if it grows higher than two blocks, it will replace blocks above it, including bedrock. So, oh, wow. Yeah, that's obviously something that's going to be patched because, again, a very easy way to break bedrock, kind of similar to growing a dark oak tree used to be that you could force it to grow through bedrock to break the blocks away um yep. i i really doubt that's going to stay in much like the uh the the glow lichen issue with water in the nether that's going to get patched pretty quickly but uh, a, lo a lot yeah. of people brought that to my attention so i thought it was worth uh, acknowledging there um in a similar way though um moss is kind of interesting because you can spread it using bone meal and it will replace stone and decorative stone types or sand placed around it i presume the same is also true for gravel although i didn't do much testing with that but there are other blocks that it won't replace like uh, actual grass blocks it will not spread to and convert and i think that may be because of the renewability of grass and dirt blocks i'm not certain but either mm. way um being able to bone meal moss to spread it i think is really good uh, it's got good restrictions it will not spread to blocks that are that have like other blocks on top of them so it's only going to spread to blocks that it can reach only on the same y-axis as well, so you're not seeing it spread to blocks above or below the level where the moss already is that you're bone mealing. Um, mm -hmm. it, the fact that it replaces sand highlights our need for renewable sand, please. Um, mm -hmm. But I spent a little bit of time working with that and uh, created what I've been talking about in previous episodes of the show, which was more of like a, a desert oasis kind of environment. And I'm really happy as I was hoping for in previous discussions about this, that moss does not change color per biome. Um, the same nice. goes for azalea and azalea leaves, the moss carpet, all of the stuff from lush caves does not change color in different biomes. And I think that is probably going to stay that way because lush caves, A, are meant to feel like their own ecosystem when you discover them naturally. But I also doubt that they will technically be a different biome, presuming that we keep the same world generation type of stuff that we have already you are still going to be finding these caves underneath deserts mountains oceans you know places that have different biome color to them than the average plains and i think the lush cave is supposed to feel separate from that so even if the biome is taking up the entire vertical space of the chunk you're still going to find lush caves looking the same which then allows us to do a whole lot more with organic builds on the surface you could effectively terraform a desert into a really nice lush green environment as long as you're using moss and only using grass kind of sparingly throughout and that's where i also found moss providing a gradient with grass and and green concrete powder and various other things came in really nicely we also had rooted dirt which we haven't really talked about a whole lot because it doesn't do a whole lot right now but i found that makes a a really nice gradient through maybe some of the the sandier grass colors into stuff like granite and finding granite blending with dirt via rooted dirt is actually quite a nice uh addition to the 
the the variety of organic palettes you can use some of those stone types in so i'm i'm pretty much in favor of all of the aesthetics of the stuff they've added so far i think it's a a good call all round the rooted dirt was something i did not have a chance to mess around with and i'm only just reminded of it as i'm looking into the um the screenshot that they shared on the the snapshot page and uh it's it's actually it's right next to granite now that i'm looking at it um yeah, I, I love what you did with the Oasis. Uh, I think you shared that on Twitter earlier this week. I yes. can't remember. Um, and obviously it's in our um, live chat right now. But yeah, like 100%, the gradient between like gra um, desert sand, desert grass, which is kind of like dead looking. And then like the moss blocks and the concrete powder that you've got there. Uh, and especially because the, the organic look of the moss carpet, it just takes it to that next level of not all one flat surface. Yes. Like there's just enough of a Y variance there in terms of a pixel or two to really show off like the, it just looks like growth in Minecraft as opposed to you've done a pixel pattern. You know what I mean? Yeah. And, and it, it really kind of gives that, that natural feel to it. I, uh, Oh, I see, I see where another shot. I see where you've done the, uh, the rooted dirt, uh, gradients and stuff it's it's i really feel like they're adding an awful lot for the landscapers out yes there. you know like the people that really want to make like stuff look as natural as they can and do like me spend a lot of time fixing <laughs> the yeah. minecraft landscape which is a, it's a rabbit hole it can be very therapeutic but it can be like oh my gosh where did the last four hours go yeah because yeah. uh very often you'll find that you want to fix things so what's the first thing that you want to build with this kind of palette access to this kind of greenery like what's are you've done the desert oasis as a, as a test but like do you have any plans for like what's the the big thing that you'd like to do i think honestly having a, a moss texture that's on all six sides makes me want to terraform the natural hills in minecraft because i'm not the kind of person who likes to use the optifine uh better grass uh, mm -hmm. where, where there's grass on all six faces of the block as long as it's adjacent to a another grass block vertically i think having moss to be able to terraform and choose which sections of the hills you want to be covered in dirt versus you know covered in a full blanket of grass like that i think i'm going to be using moss to terraform some stuff on the surface but honestly once i find a lush cave generating in game i'm probably just going to live there for a while <laughs> and expand it as far as i want to using this moss bone mealing mechanic if it stays the same way um I don't know. I think the best tool for breaking moss is currently the axe, and I don't know if that's going to change or stay the same, but that's an, an interesting uh, tool choice, considering I associate it much more with the dirt types of blocks at the moment, being a, a ground-formed block, and yeah, it, it's converting from stone to moss and going from pickaxe to axe that way. It's 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 interesting. It's it's an interesting choice, but um, having not obviously encountered it in a survival context yet, I'd probably get used to that a little bit later the yeah. the thing about moss i think is just the ease of access to it is going to be phenomenal right off the bat you know you can you can replace a renewable material with it right you can basically generate smooth stone natural stone and then convert it into moss by bone mealing and then just keep producing that so you could set up automated farms for it if you wanted to but it's going to be easy enough to just collect it manually as a player you're not going to find a scarcity of it so they're really setting you up to be able to use moss however you want to. Yeah, I mean, it's my brain's already spinning, you know, with all the different things that I can do with it and the landscaping bits that I'm like you, like even when I do have, because um, I do play with Optifine, 
um, for mostly for performance reasons, but it does give you the added you know feature of having the connected grass sides. But once you get more than one block high on a cliff, then you end up with dirt sides, right? Yeah. And so to be able to control that and, and um, do a little bit more of a well to, to cascade dirt and grass the way that it happens naturally like no cliff you know not all cliffs are are straight rock or straight dirt like there's usually clumps of grass that have fallen down or grass seeds get everywhere and they just it kind of grows in different places and i think that would go a long way uh to maybe break up the kind of stuff that that you're doing um i love that it's renewable um i i would th- i think i'm most excited about the control it's going to give me for places like the modern city where you're wanting things to be manicured. You know, you want things to look like they've had a, 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 a modern hand to it. And I think being able to create dense bushes that you can't see through is going to be very interesting. So custom trees when the moss is being used as the tree block instead of leaf blocks or both, you know, it's going to be really interesting to to create that kind of a look. Yeah, you, using the uh, azalea sapling block as the kind of topiary, adding moss on top of that, you can also add another azalea leaf on top of that, and it looks like the topiary is getting slightly out of control, like it hasn't been trimmed for a while, which mm-hmm. I think is kind of adorable. Uh, you can also, of course, uh, bone meal moss to get grass and moss carpet growing on it, which means... I would presume, although I haven't tested it with everything, that moss is compatible with all of the flowers and grass and stuff that you're going to find and ferns that you're going to find on the surface. So you can use that for park builds. You can have a variety of different grass-type textures in there and still have the full range. It's not going to be super obvious which blocks are moss and which blocks are grass in the same way that if you want to have one of those striped lawns but have it be slightly overgrown, you end up with... Uh, some patches that really obviously can't grow grass because you've used green concrete powder or something like that. So mm-hmm. I, I think adding the organic variety with this stuff is just going to be a godsend for anybody who likes to build anything organic. And and people are going to find that it's it's very easy to get hold of in the early stages of the Caves and Cliffs update. What do you think of the aesthetics of the rooted dirt? Uh, I think rooted dirt is great, actually. I think, it, like I said, it, it blending with, uh, with granite actually opens the granite up to me in a different way um and so it's got like a little bit of that pink kind of color and that slightly more veiny almost like wormy look to it um so you could find that used for sort of imitation compost and that kind of stuff mix it in with pods all here and there um it kind of makes me wish for rooted grass though to be honest because i i'd love to design a tree where it was clear that roots were going into the soil around the outside and there could be a couple of uh, roots kind of coming through one of the grass blocks. But again, that just means adding another grass variant that is really just going to be there for aesthetics. Um, below that, though, we, we also have... Uh, I, I posted a link in the uh, the show notes here as well from uh, Jasper Burstra, uh, Japper on Twitter, the, the uh, m- sort of artist for Minecraft for the last little while. He's posted a, uh, a comparison between two types of the roots plant i guess you'd say like effectively like the the root flower um that that grows down from rooted dirt blocks and will naturally generate in the world we had this in the uh in the snapshot as well and there's two possible textures for that that he's kind of asking people to compare one that feels a lot more strandy kind of like thin like grass already and one where the roots are a little bit thicker but obviously you can only have one or two of them because it's based on the 
you know the 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 flat sprites cross shape uh model that a lot of the other plants in minecraft are um and i don't know how you feel about the difference between those two i almost feel like something in between would work better for me because by the time they get that far down through the soil roots are going to be pretty thin anyway but aesthetically i'm not sure i like the first option the one that we have in the snapshot right now it feels a lot more like a coral fan or something like that to me things that we already have in minecraft as opposed to something that feels unique and of its own an idea uh i would agree i i think that the spindly roots while accurate perhaps to nature maybe don't work the best aesthetically in minecraft the little skinny ones yeah uh and you look at things like the glow berry vines the uh, lush cave vines and how they still look like they fit in Minecraft, but they look like they were designed in 2020, not yeah. that they were designed in 2010. And and I feel like that's the difference. Like they, we, they have the design aesthetics. They have the ability with other things in the game to make the roots look a little bit cooler in terms of like, I'm okay with stuff in Minecraft being pretty cartoony. Like I don't need the roots to look like real roots. It'd be cool if they looked a little bit more like cartoon roots. I feel like that would work better. The one thing that I'm wishing is that while you could probably put a limit on it, like maybe three blocks long, I wish that they were longer. It would be really cool to be able to bone meal roots. I know, again, not very realistic, but if you had roots like this, that would be between one and three blocks long. And then you were making a cave and you wanted to decorate these things and having the roots and vines hang from the ceiling, kind of like down in the player's face and have them be maybe thicker as they're close to the block or thinner at the ends. That could be very cool too. Maybe somewhere in between. I, I agree with you. I think the the pick from, from Jappa, um, the, the spindly ones are not quite, quite right. And then, but the thick ones, they're so thick, they don't really look like roots anymore. It just looks like I don't know. I, it, it, it looks organic, but it doesn't look like roots. It looks more like a, a chunk of something hanging from the, the bottom of the block. Um, yeah. I think I think in between is probably the, the better way to go. Um, I just keep on thinking about the scene from Empire Strikes Back when Luke goes into the dark side cave and everything's kind of like hanging in his face and he has mm -hmm. to like clear the stuff of the way. That's the kind of feeling I kind of want to be able to create with some of this stuff. Yeah, definitely. You, you want to have like, effectively, they're like upside down ferns. You want to have like two tall ferns in the same sort of mm, way, but, but mm -hmm. hanging yeah. hanging from the ceiling. I can see that. Well, uh, folks at home listening to this, if you have opinions about anything we've seen in the Lush Cave snapshot this week, let us know. Once again, the email address is spawnchunkmail at gmail.com. Send us your opinions. It'd be great to get a discussion going on next week's show, but that's all we're going to have time to talk about on this week's show. Uh, you can find more information about the Spawn Chunks and links to some of the things we've talked about today at thespawnchunks.com. The music for the show is composed by me. The Spawn Chunks is proud to be a listener-supported podcast. Still proud of it after all this time. <laughs> uh, if you get some value out of the show, please consider putting some value back in. You can visit patreon.com slash thespawnchunks to join our community. Pledging at any level there gets you an invite to our patrons-only Discord chat, gets us closer to our next milestone goal of having a monthly minecraft audio hangout much like an episode of the show but a more or less private conversation with the folks in our discord chatting about what we've all been up to in minecraft a quick login the early segment where we talk about our own minecraft lives but with you involved as well uh, we're currently at 229 patrons which is up from last week thank you to everybody who has jumped on board since the last episode lovely to have you here and special thanks go out to our content engineers, Fazu Battlecaster, General Pattern 82, Greener Canuck, Hunter 555, Jumbo Sale, and Yitz for your support on this episode.
Sharing the podcast with your friends is the easiest way to support the show. You can find us at The Spun Chunks on Twitter and Instagram, but personal recommendations are by far the best way to share the podcast. Just poke a friend in the arm from a safe distance, tell them to listen to The Spun Chunks, uh, or ask them politely. I say tell them. You can choose. Subscribe on iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and YouTube, really wherever you can find a podcast. You can email the show at spawnchunkmail at gmail.com. Thanks again to everyone that wrote in this week. Fantastic stuff. The RSS feed is linked on the spawnchunks.com, and the patron-only RSS feed is on the Patreon page, and that's where you can listen to The Render Distance, the extended version of the podcast. My name is Johnny, but online I go by Pixorifs. You can find most of what I do at youtube.com slash Pixorifs, where I attempt to make sense of this crazy and wonderful game in a series called the Minecraft Survival Guide. I also stream three days a week on Twitch, doing behind-the-scenes work for the Survival Guide and occasionally dipping into other games. I'm the voice of the unofficial Hermitcraft recap, which you can find through a quick YouTube search. And aside from all that, I'm at Pixorifs on both Twitter and Instagram. Joel, where can people find you online? Everything that I am doing online, including my illustration and design portfolio, is at joelduggan.com. You can also listen to the Citadel Cafe, my other podcast about sci-fi and fantasy entertainment. We talked about WandaVision last week, and uh, spoiler warning, we talked about the first four episodes in length. So check that out at thecitadelcafe.com. You can follow me at Joel Duggan on social media, and of course, Joel Duggan on Twitch, where I am building yet more medieval things in Minecraft, having a blast, and the, uh, the crowd is growing. Come on, join in. Thanks for visiting the Spawn Chunks. The world outside is infinite, and it's looking lush.